Loving Father, we pray that uh, as we open up the book of Exodus again this morning, your spirit, be, your spirit would be at work growing us and changing us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Uh, we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Uh, please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. <clears throat> and there's a sermon outline for you to follow along with as well that might be a help. Uh, We've started a series in the book of Exodus and here we are in chapter 19 and our question must be, what has this all been for? Uh, Last week we were looking at the rescue of Israel out of Egypt, an incredible display of power and judgment and salvation of God. We had frogs, we had flies, darkness, boils, blood and death, the parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army, and so Israel is saved. But we should ask at this point, but but for what? What's it all for? Especially now that Israel find themselves in the hot, sparse, unforgiving desert. What has it all been for? This week we begin to find out, and it's all got to do with Yahweh rescuing Israel so that they would be his people. You see, they're not Pharaoh's people anymore. They're God's people. And he's going to keep making himself more and more and more known to his people. And the big thing they need to know now is that Yahweh, the Lord, is their God. And it's what God is saying to us as well, I think. Our Heavenly Father, he speaks to us and he reminds us that in Christ he's made us his own, that he is our God. We are his people. And what does that look like? What's that all for? Well, we now have the privilege the privilege of obeying him and honouring him in everything so that others might know our God too. So to chapters 19 and 24. Here's the first thing we need to know. They need to know the grace of God. So chapter 19, verse 1, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out uh, from Rephidim, They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So the Sinai, the commandments, they're, they're coming. But before we get there, the first thing they need to remember is that God has already done the work of salvation. He has saved them and so they belong to him already. He's already rescued them. He's already saved them. They are already his people. He says, you saw what I did to Egypt. I carried you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. 
See, this is really important for us because obeying laws doesn't make them, the Israel, the people of God. Let me say that again. Obeying laws doesn't make them the people of God because they already are. Yahweh the Lord has already saved them. He's already brought them to himself. They know the grace of God in him, making them his own. That's what the past couple of weeks have been all about, as we've seen God's promises and God's rescue. But is this just like you and, you and I, you and me? See, we, I pray we wonderfully know the grace of God, that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins, and by his death we have already been made into the children of God. And so we don't obey the Lord Jesus in order to win a place among God's people. No, our obedience to God is for a different reason, just like it was for Israel. They weren't just rescued by Yahweh and see left on a shelf and forgotten. No, Yahweh the Lord considers Israel to be his treasure. That even though he owns all the earth, that Israel would especially be his own. You can see it there in verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. We know our majesty the queen, don't we? We might say as the crown, she holds claim to the entire realm of the Commonwealth. We could say that, and that would be right. Everything is subject to the crown. But isn't it also true that Her Majesty has a personal treasure store? Something that's personal to her, treasured by her, that is especially her own, her favourite works of art, her favourite pieces of jewellery, her, her corgis, right, and the like. And see here that out of everything that God owns, since he's God, out of all the nations, out of all the peoples, all the lands, out of everything, Israel are to be his own treasured possession. To be Yahweh's, to be the Lord's treasured possession was for Israel, well, they needed to be his priests, and they needed to be a holy nation. But more about the holiness next week. God, remember, has already made them his people. And now he's going to make them his priests. Uh, and they will be his priests if they obey him fully. Now, a priest's job back then was to relate God to people. And, for, and to relate people back to God. A priest stands as a go-between, if you like. Uh, if you want a, a, another example, we know what a real estate agent is. They mediate between a buyer and a seller. They bring two parties together and get a deal done, don't they? And 
That's kind of the picture here. A priest would bring God and people together. And Israel, as a nation, if they obey the Lord, then as a nation they will be his priests to the world. They will be bringing people to God as their obedience attracted the nations to the Lord. Do you see that? See, what is all this for? All this is for, it's, it's all by the way they live. That Israel now has the privilege of making God known to the rest of the world as his treasure possession. And again, this is true of you and I. This is true of you and I. We've been graciously made into the people of God through the death of Christ. So that now in our lives of obedience to him, we display the goodness and the greatness of God. We behave like we belong. We behave like we are treasured. We behave like we belong to the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ Jesus. And out of all that God has made and out of all that God owns, our lives, our little lives, can make the God of the universe known to the world. So it's a remarkable privilege that God has given us to be his people. It's an amazing thought, isn't it, to consider ourselves treasured and special and set apart for God's work. All of us. Then what follows are two questions. Firstly, from verse 9, the question of who God is. And then from chapter onwards, how we make him known. And notice God, the Lord, he descends towards them to again show them again that he is God. God is making himself known. It's a frightening display. The Lord makes it clear to Israel he's not one to be messed with. He's in charge and that he wonderfully rules over his people. And so in chapter 19, God gets the people ready to meet him on the mountain. Now, kick in your imagination uh, for a minute. Can you imagine being on the foot of Mount Sinai? Can you imagine Moses turns up and he says to us, Hey, God himself is going to speak on the mountain, which means you've got to get ready, which means you've got to go and purify ourselves for two days. And that when it does come for us to approach the mountain, Yahweh says that if anyone does touch the mountain, it's not going to go well. In fact, verses 12 and 13 say, you'll die if you touch the mountain. And so we go and we purify ourselves for two days. And on the third day, the Lord turns up. And what happens next? Well, look at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. I don't know where they came from, but anyway. Everyone in the camp trembled, and then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top 
of the mountain. So Moses went up saying, yay for me. No, he didn't say that. But who'd be shaking in their boots? Imagine being Moses. They'd be terrifying. A terrifying scene with thunder and lightning and trumpets and the sight of lightning and smoke and noise and everything getting louder and louder and louder and the mountain is shaking. And, and the Lord descends to the top of the mountain in fire and he calls Moses to come and join him. And so Moses goes up and in verses 21 to 24, God says, make sure nobody tries to come up again. And so verse 25, he goes back down the mountain. It's all very terrifying. If we take anything from this section here, we remember that the Lord is God. He is a God who makes himself known and that he sets the terms. You don't set the terms. God does. God sets the terms. Any approach to him must be on his terms, not yours. Whoever God is, see also, it's not an easy thing to stand in the presence of God. It is not easy. And here comes the how. So that's a bit of the who, but here comes the how. So what does it look like to be this treasured possession? Chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, there's the grace again, the rescue. And this is how it works. You shall have no other gods before me. And everyone said, well, ain't that, isn't that the truth? And on it goes, ten words that will shape the life of Israel. No other gods, no idolatry, idolatry rather, no blasphemy. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You've got to honour your mum and dad. You can no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false testimony, no coveting. And after hearing the terrifying voice of God speaking out these Ten Commandments, well, how do you think Israel are coping? Well, we read it, didn't we, in verse 18, didn't we? When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Oh, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Don't touch the mountain or you will die. Now they're saying, don't let him speak or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. See, the lesson is clear We are to know our God. We are to know that the Lord is God and that he is your God. He is your God. The people remain at the foot of Sinai. Moses goes up and what's left in chapters 21 to 23 are more commandments. Um, uh, There's more day-to-day specifics of how they're to live this out. And so we remembered in the Ten Commandments... Um, do not murder is a thing, isn't it? Yeah, good. So don't kill anyone. But what if it's a fight and someone doesn't die? What do we do then? Well, chapter 21, verse 18. Can you see it? 
If people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other one can get up and walk around outside with a staff. However, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Uh, Do not steal is a thing, isn't it? But what if someone actually does steal something? Well, chapter 22, verse 1. Whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it sells or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Okay. Uh, uh, what about uh, coveting? Coveting a neighbor's ox, you're not allowed to do that. But what if you stumble across... Uh, an ox just by the, the, the roadside. Can I take it then? Well, chapter 23, verse 4 to 5 has the answer. If you come across your enemy's ox, so not just any ox, or a donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. And so these laws are here to flesh out the Ten, the Ten Commandments in everyday life for the Israelites. This is the code by which Israel was to live by. But can you see that as we read these words, you see, well, all of this works. It, it reads well. But, uh, it seems to work. Uh, here we have a whole nation. If they were to obey... They're not living in hatred. They're not living in jealousy or strife or selfishness. But this is a nation that consistently looks after each other, even when they don't necessarily like each other. Helping your enemy with his overloaded donkey. Or making sure injured parties are compensated. Or marriages are honoured, or there's provision for the poor, or you don't exploit the vulnerable, or every facet of life. Their lives is wonderfully won over to the ways of the Lord. And so little wonder if we reflect on chapter 19 that the Lord said if they would fully obey him, they would make him known to the world. And you think, well, if they live like this, of course that's going to happen. The nations around them will look in on Israel and marvel. They will marvel. And here we see what it's all for. We might feel blessed to live in Australia. Some of you are smiling this morning. Can't imagine why. Of course we know why. Uh, But it's not unlike the refugees and the asylum seekers. People from overseas. They hear about Australia. They hear about our comparative peace and stability and freedom and prosperity. And they desperately want to be included among us, don't they? And here the nations are meant to be able to look in on Israel and want to be among them, wanting to have not just a better land to live in, But they want to have Israel's God as their God. 
wanting to become a part of Israel. That's, that's what it's all for. And so the obedience of God's people is to make the Lord known to the nations. And it's not a burdensome obedience. This is an obedience that stems from love. It's obedience that stems from uh, that, that is a response to the grace that's shown to them in God's mercy and kindness. They can't help but love God. They can't help but do what he's asked them to do. And that is still true then, and it was still true today. Through Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, our lives have been wonderfully won over to him. And the world should look in on our lives, and they should marvel. And they should want to be a part of it. And they should want to know our God. Back in Exodus, chapter 24, do you think Israel are eager to be obedient? Do you think they're on board with this? Let's have a quick look before we finish. Chapter 24, verse 3 to 4. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. And so Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. Or verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. We get hearty, hearty agreement to all of this. But of course, it's all talk. We know that, don't we? They just all talk and no action. As we read through the scriptures, Israel is one long train wreck of disobedience and idolatry, and sin, and oppression, and injustice. And so instead of making the Lord known to the nations, they become a laughing stock to the nations. And the God of Israel is mocked. His name is dragged through the mud for centuries. They said they'd do it happily, wholeheartedly, but they didn't. And so these pages of privilege and anticipation are left unfulfilled and empty. And we might ask, well, what's it all for then? What is all this for? And of course, that question is answered when we turn to the New Testament, isn't it? And that one Israelite appears and finally does what Israel never did. What Israel could only say with their lips, Jesus actually did with his life. Jesus was perfectly obedient to God as Israel never was. In Jesus, we see the one true faithful Israelite. And not only was Jesus obedient to his father for his father's name's sake, he was also obedient for our sake. For your sake as well. Just as Israel could never obey God fully, well, neither do we. And so Jesus came and lived the perfectly obedient life for us. The great exchange where his perfect obedience becomes ours and our disobedience on the cross becomes his. 
as he dies for us to deal with our sin and our rebellion. But it gets even better because the Lord Jesus gives us his spirit to be his forgiven people. And he gives us his spirit so that we can obey him. So that we can pray, dear Lord, write your law on our hearts by your spirit. Is that what we prayed this morning? We did. The tragedy of God's people dragging his name through the mud by their disobedience and godlessness, those days should be a thing of the past. But we struggle. And God hasn't just left us alone with our sinful nature. He's given us his spirit and he's given us new hearts that want to obey him. A spirit that helps us in our struggle. And so by the Spirit of God, we can live the obedient, good, God-honouring lives we've been called to. And this is wonderful news. And you could say, well, does it get any better than that? And the answer, of course, is, well, yeah, it does. For as good as these commandments here are, back in Exodus 20, the time has passed. Because Jesus came... And he fulfilled it. He is the culmination of all that we read here. Which means that now we live in the freedom of the Spirit. To surrender every aspect of our hearts and minds and wills in glad obedience to God. That in absolutely every facet of life, God's Spirit is right here with us. Moving us to honour God to obey our Heavenly Father, so that when people look at our lives, they'll see it works. They'll say, I want some of that. That this is true. And they'll be drawn to the God who saved us and ruled us and loves us, that they might know him too. And so God is glorified. God is glorified. God is glorified by those who are his. And that's what it's all for. Amen.